0: Welcome to Rosalind Franklin University College of Pharmacy Top 200 Drugs Podcast.
1: This podcast is produced by the pharmacy faculty members to supplement study material for students learning the Top 200 Drugs. We're hoping that our real-life clinical pearls and discussions from practicing pharmacists will help you study for your next drug quiz. And now, on to the show.
2: Welcome to Week 8. Of Rosalind Franklin University's Top 200 Drugs Podcast, Spring Edition. I'm your co-host, Dr. Kane. I'm Dr. Weatherton.
3: I'm Dr. Patel. And I'm the super special guest, Dr. Petty. I'm a PGY1 resident with North Shore University Health System at Highland Park, and I'm on rotation at Rosalind Franklin.
2: Fantastic to have you. Thanks. So this week, we're talking about antiemetics, cost suppressants, and allergy medications. Now, the first agent that we'll
1: be discussing is hydroxazine. The brand name is Atarax. Hydroxyzine is a first-generation antihistamine, which I understand means it has a pretty characteristic set of adverse effects. Is that correct, Dr. Patel?
0: That is very correct. And um, the first thing that comes in my mind is the anticholinergic kind of effects, such as um, sedation, drying, and constipation. But but these effects, this medication is used for um, Anzolytic property because, again, it's sedating. Antihistaminic properties um, because of the um, allergy-mediated reactions. And also used as an antiemetic. I just wanted to mention that it's not approved for use in nausea and vomiting of pregnancy, though.
1: You know what it's also not used for is blood pressure. I had a project as a student to go through pharmacy records and pick out hydroxyzine, this allergy medicine, versus hydrolazine, or a blood pressure medicine that's also used for chest pain. And we found some patients who needed an allergy medicine were getting blood pressure medicine, and some patients who needed a blood pressure medicine were getting an allergy medicine. So that's a very dangerous thing to mix up, and you want to be sure that you're not mixing up hydroxyzine or hydrolazine. So
2: as far as the adverse effect profile, as we already said, we see a lot of anticholinergic effects. Now I know we talk, we've talked about this a lot in the podcast already, but the main ones that we're seeing are sedation and drying of mucous membranes, constipation, and maybe even some orthostatic hypotension with it. Um, So for that reason, something like hydroxazine or Atarax is probably not a good medication to be mixed with something like alcohol or other opioids because we could get a combination of CNS depressive effects.
0: So I understand, Dr. Petty, that this medication is also available in a different brand name. Can you elaborate on that?
3: Yes, it comes in two salt forms. So not the salt you see on the table, but also, um, so it's visceral, and so that's as PMO8 salt, and then also as a hydrochloride. And so, Adarax, that's with um, the similar names. So, Vistral is marketed for anxiety and sleep, versus, Adorax is actually for itching. So, make sure you kind of pay attention to there that the different brand names are actually for two different um, indications.
2: So, as far as dosage forms, we've got a hydroxazine or Adorax capsule, tablet, oral solution, oral suspension, and even an injection.
1: Now, I understand that hydroxyzine is actually metabolized into another drug that we've heard of before. Is that right?
2: It is. So hydroxyzine in the body will get metabolized to a second generation antihistamine called satyrazine, but you might know it better by its brand name of Zyrtec.
1: So the next drug on the list is meclazine, which goes by the brand name Antivert, which is a pretty explicit brand name based on what the drug does. Is that right? Yeah, so
2: this medication is commonly given for vertigo, hence the brand name of Antivert. But it also uh, is an, a first-generation antihistamine, so it has the same properties. And, in theory, it could be used for the same things as, as hydroxyzine or Atarax. So we could use it for motion sickness and even as an antihistamine for allergy-related
1: symptoms. And I imagine we can accept, expect the same side effect profile as well, the dried-out anticholinergic type things. Absolutely, same stuff. Dr. Petty, how does the duration of action of meclizine compare to hydroxyzine?
3: So hydroxyzine is actually a much shorter duration of action, where meclizine is a lot longer. So if you're doing a comparison, the... Meclizine is 24 hours versus 4 to 6 hours that you would have with hydroxyzine.
1: So with just one pill, patients can experience those anticholinergic side effects for a whole day, huh? All
3: day. Anti-sludge all day.
2: <laughs> <laughs> all right. So our next agent is metoclopramide or Reglan. Now, this actually has two very distinct indications from the FDA point of view and what we use it for in clinical practice.
1: The big one that I think of is a prokinetic effect, meaning that it moves things through the GI tract. And it does that by enhancing acetylcholine. In this mechanism, it's essentially the opposite of the anticholinergic drugs that we just talked about.
2: So I'd bet that in patients who are taking Reglan, not necessarily for GI motility, but for a different indication, they might expect some diarrhea with the, the product then.
1: That's a great point. As things start to move along more quickly, less water is absorbed, and we can see a resultant diarrhea. What about the other indication?
3: When I think of Reglan, I usually think of it as the anti properties, it's very similar to Zofran, or in Dance of Tron, as you guys may have learned. It's a blockade in the CNS, and it's a serotonin blockade, so that's where that 5-HT3 comes in play.
2: So my brother was actually given a prescription for Reglan or metoclopramide for nausea and vomiting, and when he read the package insert, he decided he wasn't going to take it anymore. It's got some pretty scary side effects that I
1: think we should go over.
0: I think the first one that jumps to mind is the, the EPS symptoms, extrapyramidal symptoms.
1: And what the heck are those?
0: So that comprises of, of different conditions, such as akathisia, uh, which is just general restlessness, including involuntary movements and twitches and uh, spasms. And these spasms are also um, known as muscle dystonia because the tone goes off the back, so your muscles start twitching. And it could be just about any muscle. So it could be your eyes, um, heads, arms, and legs. I mean, imagine winking at some people for no given reason. You can get into a lot of trouble. Aren't these symptoms caused by some type of blockade?
1: They sure are. Uh, I believe they're caused by blockade of dopamine, which is similar to what we see in patients with Parkinson's or patients taking second-generation antipsychotics. Now, I understand that extrapyramidal symptoms tend to be reversible if you stop the drug, but what happens if you don't stop the drug? So, right gland or metaclopramide actually has a boxed warning
2: that it shouldn't be used for long-term use, so they say more than 12 weeks. For the risk of something called tardive dyskinesia. And uh, tardive dyskinesia is essentially extrapyramidal symptoms, or EPS, that can be more permanent. And it has similar symptoms, but usually when we think of tardive dyskinesia, we think of facial movements. So this is lip smacking, tongue moving in and out, and eye blinking.
1: Wow, those are some scary side effects. What other side effects does this medicine have that maybe aren't related to a dopamine blockade?
0: I'm thinking of drowsiness, um, because obviously it's working in the CNS. Dizziness to go along with that and other CNS type changes such as depression, anxiety, or even hallucinations. Um, it also have uh, known to cause some bradycardia and in um, higher doses um, atrioventricular block.
2: So, Dr. Petty, in your institution, what kind of dosage forms of regland do you commonly see?
3: So, we see a lot of different dosage forms in our institution because it is such a commonly used medication. So, it comes in an injectable, it comes in an oral solution, a tablet, and then also an ODT tablet. So, what does ODT mean?
1: I think that's orally disintegrating tablet.
0: Oh, that's right.
1: Why would they give uh, nausea medicine as an ODT?
0: Duh, Dr. Rutherton, because patients cannot take any PO medication. They should just simply put the ODT tablet in the mouth, and it will dissolve Ah, right there.
1: That's pretty smart.
0: Dr. Patel, uh, what's this medicine used for? So like we said, there are two different mechanisms of actions. Um, This medication's prokinetic properties are used in diabetic gastroparesis, or sometimes patients with gastroesophageal reflux, which, which, which are not managed by the usual therapy. And also, it's been used for nausea and vomiting related to either chemotherapy or post surgery.
1: Gastroparesis isn't rhesus a kind of monkey? Does that have to do with having monkeys in your belly?
0: That's how pretty much a patient feels when they have the gastroparesis.
2: I think of gastroparesis as where the, the nerves that move uh, that are responsible for GI motility die off, so you don't you lack GI motility, so food and other substances stay in your stomach longer than they really should
1: interesting. All right. The next drug on our list is called prochlorperazine, or a much easier to say brand name is compazine. Now I understand this medicine used to be used as an antipsychotic. Is that right, Dr. Kane? It is, which is kind of funny that we'd give it to patients in the hospital who actually
2: don't have any psychoses. Now we use it as an antiemetic, but historically it actually does have FDA approval as an antipsychotic, similar to haloperidol or Haldol. Dr. Petty, why
1: isn't this used as an antipsychotic anymore?
3: It's because it's not as effective as other typical antipsychotics, so it's really not used for the purpose. So I
1: like to think of uh, prochlorperazine
2: or compazine to have a promiscuous receptor profile. And what I mean by that is that it hits a lot of different type of receptors. It doesn't just stick to one monogamous receptor. It gets around. So it definitely hits the dopamine receptor. So it's a dopamine antagonist, which is why it has the effect it does in schizophrenia. We also see alpha-1 blockade, which can cause some orthostatic hypotension or even hypotension with rapid IV infusion.
1: I understand that's a common feature of antipsychotics, is that right?
2: It is. Many of our typical antipsychotics are very promiscuous in their receptor profiles. Then the last thing is that it also has
1: anticholinergic effects like many of our other antiemetics. So that causes things like sedation and dry mouth and the classic anticholinergic profile, I guess. What sort of side effects do patients experience from this drug?
0: So with the dopamine antagonist properties, um, I'm thinking, again, the EPS, the extrapyramidal symptoms, just like metoclopramide or reglin. And as you mentioned, Dr. Rutherton, the alpha-1 antagonism leads to hypotension. Um, so particularly with the injection form, um, there is a risk of orthostatic hypotension and increased heart rate.
1: Uh, good old-fashioned reflex tachycardia. Huh?
0: Exactly.
1: Uh, how does this medicine come?
0: So like I said, um, it is available in an injection form, but we do see it in oral tablets or even suppositories, which is a good feature because patients with severe nausea and vomiting, uh, like we said, cannot maintain PO intake, and those patients can use the suppository.
1: Very interesting. Now, these medications for nausea and vomiting seem like they've got tons of side effects. Is there anything better that patients can use for nausea and vomiting? So actually, our
2: next drug, funny you mention it, is ondansetron or Zofran, which is really a game changer when it comes to management of nausea and vomiting in many different types of patient populations, everywhere from pregnancy to chemotherapy to post-surgical
0: patients. And I believe um, it works similarly to how metocopramide works, where it hits the 5-HT3 serotonin receptor and antagonizes those receptors in the chemoreceptor zone.
2: Yep. The only difference though is that Ondansetron or Zofran is a very monogamous drug. So it's very specific to that 5-HT3, whereas Reglan hit a lot of different receptors, including dopamine, that gave us those EPS symptoms that we don't have with Zofran or Ondansetron.
1: Very interesting. So in the FDA-approved package insert, is this drug uh, approved for treatment of nausea and vomiting?
3: It's only used for prevention, and because it's actually acting at that receptor in the chemotherapy trigger zone, it's frequently used for chemo-induced nausea and vomiting, but also it is safe to use in pregnancy as well. So that's something to consider for all of your patients that are pregnant.
2: So I can tell you clinically, particularly in the ICU where I work at, we give Zofran all the time for patients who are actively vomiting, which isn't really how the drug has been studied, but clinically that's how we use it.
1: And so with regard to preventing nausea and vomiting, I always think of it like pain. It's much easier to stay ahead of it and control it before it flares up and becomes acutely bad.
3: Sounds like this drug is pretty great and has a really nice side effect profile. Are there any downsides to this medication?
2: So I'm a little mad at the FDA because of their warning that they put on, on Dan Citron or Zofran. Recently the FDA put a boxed warning on Zofran that it can cause QTC prolongation particularly when given at high doses. So there were some case reports of patients having fatal arrhythmias caused by a prolongation of their QTC, and they were given Zofran at about the same time. The problem, though, is that when we give doses for chemotherapy, we're giving something like 32 milligrams of Zofran, whereas in the ICU, we're giving anywhere from 4 to maybe 8 milligrams of Zofran. It's a dose-dependent effect that we see, so I don't feel like it deserves that boxed warning, but it's something that every pharmacist should at least be aware of.
0: Yeah. And you want to be also aware that if this medication is used with other drugs that can cause QTC prolongation, then you can just augment the effect. So you still have to watch out for those drug interactions.
1: So aside from that potential dose-dependent, very serious side effect, what other side effects are there of this drug?
2: Really, we don't see too much, to be honest with you, which is one of the reasons that Zofran or Ondansetron is such a fantastic drug. We see things like headache or constipation, but it's really no different than placebo. Typically, uh, Zofran is given IV in the hospital, but obviously we can't do that in an outpatient setting. So what do you guys see as prescriptions for Zofran?
0: I see the tablet a lot. And I've seen um, the ODT tablets again, the orally disintegrating tablets.
1: And there's also an oral film, similar to like a Listerine breath mint type strip. But probably doesn't give you that clean,
2: fresh breath.
0: It doesn't have peppermint, Dr. Kane.
2: (laughs) Changing gears to our cough agents, chlorpheniramine and hydrocodone as a combination product. The brand name for this is Tustanex Penikinetic.
1: So what kind of cough would we use an antihistamine and opiate combination for? So usually the reason that patients will have a cough
2: is either they have a cold of some type or allergies, both of which can cause mucus production. When mucus goes down the back of the throat, it ends up irritating uh, the throat, making you cough to get rid of whatever phlegm is down in the back of your throat.
0: And so I heard you say it's a combination of hydrocodone and chlorpheniramine. Now I know hydrocodone sounds more like the Vicodin and the Norco, so it's an opioid, and the. Ph- the chlorophenamine, um, I'm thinking it's the first generation antihistamine, and they, that gives us that drying effect.
2: Exactly. So we hit the cough from two different points. We either dry up the mucus so it doesn't end up in the back of the throat, or the hydrocodone, which is all opioids are cough suppressants, so we actually can suppress the cough if they do have that phlegm in the back of the throat.
3: But since it has the hydrocodone in it, doesn't that change the schedule
0: of the drug? Absolutely. It's um, actually a DEA Schedule Three drug
1: just like Vicodin or Norco. Now, I remember there are some similar side effects between anticholinergics and opiates. What's this medicine going to do to the patient's GI
2: tract? So again, we have chlorphenaramine, which is an anticholinergic, so it's going to cause constipation, and so will a narcotic like hydrocodone. In addition to that, both of these are sedating medications. They work differently in how they sedate, but the end effect is that we do have uh, synergistic sedation property to them.
3: So you really shouldn't be drinking then.
2: Definitely
1: no alcohol when taking these products. Or any other depressants, I would imagine. So and x is kind of a fancy cough syrup, isn't it? What's special about it?
0: The special thing about the syrup, or I should actually say suspension, is that it's formulated as an extended release form. Um, So this is only taken every 12 hours and not more frequently. One thing to note, it contains propylene glycol. So it it should be avoided in the kids less than six years old. And the liquid is very distinguished, yellow, thick, gooey liquid. So make sure you ask your patient to thoroughly shake the bottle before they take any doses.
1: The liquid is cool, but this is also available as capsules, is that right?
2: It is. So it's available as a different brand name called Tussie Caps, which are capsules that are also taken every 12 hours.
0: So moving on in the categories of cough syrups, The another one we have on board is promethazine and codeine combination. The brand name is Phenergan with codeine.
1: And you can remember it has codeine in it because the brand name is Phenergan with codeine. How inventive. (laughs) So this is actually
2: pretty similar to Tussinex. We have promethazine, which is actually a typical antipsychotic, but really a very poorly potent antipsychotic. So we're we're actually using it more for its antihistamine properties because it really lacks any significant uh, typical
1: antipsychotic dopamine antagonist properties.
0: And so with the coating on the board, is that also Schedule 3, Dr. Weatherton?
1: No, coating-containing products, when they're in combination, are actually Schedule 5. So this cough syrup is a Schedule 5. Oh, I see. And can be bought over-the-counter in some states if you sign a log. So an antihistaminergic-type drug and an opiate-type drug, are we looking at the same side effect profile here, Dr. Petty?
3: Absolutely. Then you're dealing with the same type of side effects, um, those anticholinergics, especially with constipation, Um, Something to look out for, it is contraindicated in our TOTS population, so anytime you have six-year-olds or less, you have a big risk of respiratory depression and death, so be sure that this is more for those older kids and for adults.
1: So now that our coughs are cured, uh, let's move on to the next agent on the list, which is Desloratadine or Clarinex. And Mm -hmm. this generic name sort of rings a bell for me.
0: It's actually an active metabolite of loratadine. Brand name is Claritin. So they just became smarter and um, came up with a new brand name, Clarinex.
2: So I understand this is a second generation antihistamine as opposed to all of the other antihistamines we've talked about, which are first generation antihistamines. What does that actually mean, though?
3: It has a big difference in terms of the side effects, because for the second generations, they really don't have that sedation going on along with it, because they don't get into the blood-brain barrier all that often, or even that much, and so we have zero sedation with these medications.
1: So you're saying these medications don't have any of the anticholinergic side effects, dry mouth, constipation, none of that?
3: Yes, they do, except there's no sedation, so
0: that's really the only difference there. Unlike the, the first-generation antihistamine, this lasts for 24 hours. So you pop one Clarinex, and you're good to go for a day. So you can
2: really appreciate the, the profound benefit that patients suffering from allergies probably saw when Claritin or Adidine and Clarinex, desloratadine came to the market. You take it once a day as opposed to every four to six hours, and it doesn't make you sleepy. So that's a pretty big benefit.
3: So, what are the dosage forms of Clarinex? Are they the same as Claritin?
1: Yeah, they really are the same dosage forms. We see a syrup for the little guys. We see a tablet and an orally disintegrating tablet of Clarinex.
0: And just like the Claritin, and it's also combined with Sudafed. So Clarinex D is also available.
1: The difference with Claritin is that this medication is not over the counter and it's much more expensive. So if your patient gets a prescription for Clarinex and doesn't like their copay, Claritin does the same thing. There has to be a difference though, right? Technically, this is the active metabolite, so the dose is usually half of what claritin is. Whether that's clinically significant or not,
2: it's not. So moving on to our over-the-counter products, the first is diamond hydronate or
1: Dramamine. So Dramamine, I understand, was a really good brainchild of some really smart medicinal chemists. How did they try to go about making Dramamine?
2: So historically, all of our agents that we've already discussed that are antihistamines uh, are going to cause sedation, and that's kind of actually how they work for things like vertigo and motion sickness. So these smart medicinal chemists said, well, what if we put something that counteracted the sedative quality and made patients more hyperactive? So they took diphenhydramine or Benadryl, and then they took theophylline, which is kind of like caffeine, and they merged the two molecules together to form a super molecule called dimenhydranate or dramamine. Wow, what a great idea. I bet that was super successful, right? So I'm not really a medicinal chemist, but it seems like the idea here is kind of the same thing as a Red Bull and
1: vodka. So you combine a stimulant with a depressant, and in the end, they cancel each other out?
0: No, they just ask you for $10 a drink. (laughs)
1: So as it turns
2: out, most patients will still have the sedative effect, and they won't be overpowered by the theophylline effect or the stimulant effect. But some patients can be different and can
1: experience one version or the other. And so the stimulant type effects that patients might see with this medication are what? Things like tachycardia and restlessness? I would think so. Huh. So just like drinking a cup of coffee or a Red Bull.
0: And since we're talking about similar structure to diphenhydramine, it's a little bit more drowsy uh, in comparison to meclizine.
1: Interesting. And like meclizine, I understand that this is used for motion sickness So if my patient's going on a cruise, should they wait until they're vomiting to take their Dramamine?
0: No, because it's for prophylaxis or preventative um, purpose, it should be taken 30 to 60 minutes prior to the travel. Interesting. And how does it come? It's available in a tablet as well as a chewable tablet form. So our
2: next over-the-counter product we've actually already discussed. This is Meclizine, and the brand name of the -the over-the-counter version is Bonine, which is just a chewable tablet, which is the same stuff as the prescription version. But it must be a lower strength, right? It's actually the same strength, but it'll
1: impact your wallet a little bit differently. So now let's get away from medications that dry you out on the inside and talk about some over-the-counter medications that will dry out your skin. If only we had someone in the room that was going to give an
2: acne lecture to our pharmacy
1: students. That's me. Well then, Dr. Petty, tell us about benzoyl peroxide.
3: So benzoyl peroxide is a topical acne product and is actually the most commonly used over-the-counter product. It kills the bacteria, hence the peroxide, but it has the potential to dry out the skin, um, so that's kind of a negative downside effect. And because it's benzoyl peroxide, it has those bleaching effects. So you want to make sure that you tell your patients be careful around the hairlines, um, unless you like that white effect, or also stain clothes, pillowcases, and towels, things of that
1: sort. And when I think of acne, I think of teenagers who might not be the most patient group of people. And as such, they think if they go to the store and get an acne medication and use it way more often than they're supposed to, the acne will go away faster. Is that how it works?
3: Unfortunately, no. So with these types of medications, there is the delayed type of effect. It can take two, three, four, even up to safe weeks. Um, for some of these medications to take effect, for people to even start noticing changes, um, something to counsel your patient on, though, is what happens when the acne gets worse or the symptoms don't resolve. So what do you think they should do, guys?
2: Call a doctor.
3: Exactly. Pretty intuitive stuff. So what type of dosage forms do you think this comes in, given that it's the most commonly used acne medication?
1: I've seen it as foams. I've seen it as bars.
3: And
0: cloths. And creams.
1: And gels. And liquids.
0: And lotions. And pads. And it goes on.
1: So no shortage of dosage forms here with benzoyl peroxide. Are there any other things we need to counsel our patients about when they're using these topical or this topical acne medication?
3: Yes. It's really important to always use sunscreen with this medication because it does have that
0: photosensitivity. So moving on to another agent in the same category, we have salicylic acid, which is a keratolytic agent, and it is available in various different brand names.
1: And what is this one used for?
0: So with the keratolytic properties, um, it is used for acne. It comes into various different concentration. When it's used for acne, it's usually at a lower concentration of 0.5 to 2%, but, um, it is seen in a higher concentration when it comes to the treatment for callus, corns, warts, and dendruff. Uh, with the treatments of callus, corns, and warts, it can go up to 40% concentration.
1: Whoa. So if I have a patient who wants to get rid of their acne fast, can I just tell them to use some salicylic acid 40%? If you want their face to burn (laughs) off. That's correct, Dr. Kane. So patients really need to be conscious to not use too much or too strong of this agent. What sort of adverse drug reactions come with salicylic acid?
3: So it's the similar types of adverse drug reactions as we see with the benzyl peroxide. There's going to be skin irritation. They may have dryness and burning. So it's really pros and cons versus the patient. So when you're talking to patients, really find out what's important to them and make sure you pick the agent that's most appropriate to them and the side effects that they're willing to tolerate. And always let them know this is going to happen. So I hear
2: the word acid in salicylic acid, so I would bet that this probably wouldn't be very comfortable to accidentally get in your eye. Or on
1: open sores or things of that nature. I think you're right, Dr. Kane. Uh, how does this particular agent come?
0: It is available as liquids, lotions,
1: gels, creams,
0: bars, foams, claws, and a patch. And even shampoo.
3: So again, lots of different variety to meet every need of every patient.
2: So let's go ahead and recap the drugs that we discussed. This is the driest podcast to
1: date, I think.
2: So the first agent we talked about was Hydroxazine, and the brand name is Atarax, but it also comes as another product called Vistaril.
1: The next agent we talked about was Meclizine, or Antivert, in the prescription form, and Bonine in the over-the-counter form.
0: The third agent on the list is Metoclopramide. The brand name is Reglon. The next agent is prochlorperazine.
3: brand name Compazine. And
1: then we moved on to Ondansetron or Zofran, And then we talked about chlorpheniramine and hydrocodone, which goes by the brand name Tushenex Penekinetic.
0: And moving on to a very clever brand name, Promethazine with codeine, sold as Phenergan with codeine. Next, we did desloratadine or
3: clarinex, not to be confused with loratadine and claritin. We
1: talked about some over-the-counter products. The first was diamond hydronate, brand name is Dramamine. The next was benzoyl peroxide, which goes by many different brand names and comes in many different dosage forms.
0: And last one on the list was salicylic acid. And just like benzyl peroxide, it is available under multiple different brand names.
2: I would like to encourage our audience to give us a five-star rating in the iTunes store so that other pharmacy students outside of Rosalind Franklin might be able to find us a little bit easier. So that concludes week eight of Rosalind Franklin's Top 200 Drugs Podcast Spring Edition. I'm your co-host, Dr.
1: Kane. I'm Dr. Weatherton.
3: I'm Dr. Patel. And I'm Dr. Petty. Study Study hard!
0: This has been an educational production by
2: the Rosalind Franklin University College of Pharmacy. This podcast is copyright, Rosalind Franklin University of Medicine and Science.
0: No participants have any conflicts of interest to disclose. This podcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended to treat a particular patient. This information should not be used in lieu of the judgment of a healthcare provider. The theme music for this podcast is an excerpt of Mix by CSUL, released under Creative Commons.